So good to see you all. So glad y'all are here. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 today. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to continue crawling through uh, this passage. And it's really going to kind of piggyback what we talked about last week because it's kind of all attached and he, he continues this thought line of having that mature faith, that that childlike faith that we talked about last week is actually a very mature faith. It's something that we should all have. We should be excited and teachable and, and moldable and, and just very passionate about what God has done in our lives. And we want to share that. We want people to know. We want people to experience that. And so that childlike faith is what we all should have. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime we are on a journey or going on a journey, going on vacation, there's always things that we need to be doing, right? So you've got the, the, the responsibilities before the journey. You've got the responsibilities during the journey. You've got the responsibilities after the journey. And just coming off of vacation, I, I know those very well. So like before, you've got to make sure the car's clean, Right? Because normally we only clean it when we go on vacation. At least most of us, some of y'all are like, not like that. Got to make sure it's, it's gassed up, it's oiled up, it's, it's empty to where you can put all your junk in it that you don't need. To take it on vacation that you'll never use. Got to make sure that the kids are okay, they're packed up. You got to make sure you're packed up. And there's so many different responsibilities before before a trip. And even on the trip, you've got the responsibilities. You've got to make sure that you're going in the right direction. You're following the GPS because it's always accurate. All right? You've got to make sure that everybody's having fun, that everybody's safe, and, and all the things that you planned that you're doing and making sure you have enough money to do all those things. You're being wise. Like, those are all the responsibilities while you're on your vacation. And then even when you come home, there's responsibilities. You've got to make sure everything comes out of the van or the truck or whatever you're traveling in and make sure it's clean and make sure the kids aren't killing each other and that everybody's in their right bed and have their own stuff and you've got to wash the clothes and clean the house if it was a mess before you left. We all know this, right? I'm not, I'm not speaking of anything that we've never experienced. Those are all responsibilities on journeys and we all are aware of that. It's sometimes why we don't go on vacation because we don't want to do any of that. We just want to sit at home and do nothing and that's okay too. But have you ever thought about the fact that our relationship with Jesus is a journey that has responsibilities? There's responsibilities before the journey. I've got to own my sin and take it to him and confess them and trust that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay for my sin and believe in his resurrection. That's the the beginning part. And then in this journey, I have responsibilities. I can't just sit back and expect God just to do everything magically and make it all perfect, I have responsibilities in this journey to continue living a holy life. But praise God, at the end of this journey, I have no more responsibilities. He's already taken care of that. We don't have to do anything when we get there except celebrate and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for all eternity. That's the great part about this. But all of us understand that in any journey that we're on, we have a responsibility in it, whether it's one or many. And it's really the thought that we have today. We have responsibilities on this journey. Now, I'm not preaching a works-based salvation by any stretch of the imagination. However, I will say that because of my love for Jesus, it will push me and guide me to a life of wanting to do great things for him. Big difference 
And so what we're talking about today is me recognizing that being on this journey with Jesus, I have personal responsibility at play on this journey. And so we're going to be looking at a couple of, or the, a couple of verses on here. We're going to break them up a little bit better uh, today because it, it, it flows a little bit better and a little easier to understand but before we move forward, we've got to remind ourselves what Jesus was talking about with this whole childlike faith thing. Because he's building off of that principle. You remember last week we talked about, he's talking to his disciples and calls a child over. Sits him in the middle and says, unless you have faith like this child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Big, bold statement. Huge statement. And so when we go back and we think about, well, what does childlike faith look like? It's this. It's the blind trust. Not that I'm walking, trying to find Jesus blind, but I'm blinding myself to every other distraction other than Jesus. That's what blind trust is. I'm trusting nothing else but him. Pure excitement. Have you ever been around a kid around Christmas time? Around their birthday time? When they hit a home run or score a goal, that's pure excitement. Or taking Emma to Chick-fil-A. Like, I can't even tell you the pure excitement with that. And so there's, there's so many things about that excitement that is genuine and innocent and real. And that is how we are to have our faith. It should be childlike. It should be just pure excitement to be at church, to be in the presence of other believers, to be in the presence of God, to read his word, to talk to him. We should be passionate and excited about that. Unwavering faith. Man, that's the type of faith I want. That no matter what comes at me, no matter what the world throws at me, no matter what God allows into my life, that my faith stays the same. If anything, it grows. And yeah, there's going to be a little wiggle here and there. We're human beings, but I want it to be unwavering. I don't want it up here and then down here. I want it to be as consistent as I possibly can, no matter what. And then teachable. Man, 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 do I always want to remain teachable. Now, my learning skill and style is way different than most. I'm a little bit slower learner, and I have to see things in action sometimes before I can really grasp it. And God teaches me different. But it doesn't mean I'm special. It doesn't mean you're not special. It doesn't mean you can't learn. But you've just got to figure out how you work with God and how he works with you. Because we all want to remain in that idea of, I want to be teachable. I want to learn. Does that mean you've got to read all the hard books that Charlie reads? No. But you can do like I do. You borrow his books and just read all the highlights that he highlights. Get all the good stuff real quick. But the idea is don't stop wanting to learn. We should always be teachable. Listen, I haven't figured it all out yet. And I am always open for more learning, especially from Christ. You know, I, I want to be carefree to a degree. I want to live life in such a way that as long as I'm living a holy life, I know that I don't have to worry about anything. What can man really do to us? Well, Alan, they could torture you. They could kill you. Yeah, they can. But that does not take away my faith or my soul. And so I can live carefree. I don't have to worry about the things that most people have to worry about because of my relationship with him. And then remaining humble. That is the type of faith that we should have. We should all live that way. 
And so with that mindset, with that idea that Jesus is talking about this, this is the type of faith that we should have. Let's go to the passage of Scripture and let's start with verse 5. I'm going to go back and read verse 4 and then we're going to go to 5. Verse 4, it says this, Matthew chapter 18, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now that's an interesting statement that he comes out with and he says, listen, if you receive this little child, you're actually receiving me, you're trusting me. And so if we're looking at this idea of a child, why would a child come to Jesus? In the day and age that we live, that's just kind of weird, right? I mean, you don't normally just call a child over out of the random blue and they just come over and sit at your feet and you just talk to them. Stranger danger is a big deal. But in this culture, it is easy for us to assume because culture was just different That when Jesus called this child over, there had to be something different about Jesus for this child just to come over. He was warm. You ever been around a warm individual? You just cozy right up and you're just like, oh, it's so nice to be around you. You ever been around somebody like that? Sally's that way. Yes. (laughs) Right? There's just people that just have that type of personality and demeanor that they're just warm. They're just nice to be around. And I would venture to say this little kid saw Jesus and thought, man, that guy looks pretty cool. I'll go over there. Why else would he come? Maybe just for the sake of argument, Jesus felt safe to him. He looked safe. Have you ever been around somebody that you just feel safe around? Now, you don't care who's going to come at you or who's going to say anything to you. You've got this guy beside you. You're good. This young person saw Jesus and saw warmth and safety and went straight to him. But not only that, but he felt welcomed. He felt welcomed. Jesus invited a child unheard of, not normal. And he says, hey, you little guy, come over here and sit with us adults. Sit down in amongst my guys here. And he comes. Why? Because he felt welcomed. He felt validated, appreciated, loved. And it was safe. And it was warm. And Jesus takes this little person who was teachable. He wanted to learn. He came to this stranger. Maybe he'd seen Jesus before. Maybe he had not. But because the stranger was warm and safe... He wanted to be taught. He wanted to see what this man had to offer. So I I look at that, and Jesus says, if you receive one like this, you are essentially receiving me. So he says, that's how you need to talk with each other. That's how you need to receive one another. Because that's how you would do me, so why would you not do it for each other? So the question I pose for our church this morning is this. Why would a new believer come here? Maybe even not a new believer. Why, what a, let's talk about a seeking person. Someone who is seeking what this is all about. Why would they come here? Hopefully they would come because they would feel the warmth here. That's what we want. We do not want to be a cold-hearted church. We want people when the moment they walk in, they feel warm. 
We also want them to feel safe. I want people to feel safe to come in. And not just because we have a great security team. I want people to feel safe from judgment when they come in. I want people to feel safe to be who they are, to talk about what they need to talk about, to feel safe enough to say, here's where my struggles are without fear of people rejecting them. We want them to feel warmth and we want them to feel safe, but also we want them to feel welcomed. Just as this little person, this young person felt that from Jesus, that is what we are called to be to those that are entering these doors. And by the way, it's not just to new believers or seeking uh, um, seekers. We should do that to each other. And listen, I've been in a lot of churches that that can't be said. Some of the coldest, unsafest places can be the church. And we should not be that. But here's the other thing. They're coming in and they want to be taught. They're coming looking for something. And so many of us might think, well, that's where you come into play, Alan. You're the teacher. You need to teach them. No, it's not just me. It's all of us because they will learn by how we love one another. They are teachable. They are looking for something and we should leverage that opportunity to teach them truth, to teach them love, and to live that life of love with them and around them. That's the type of church we want. That's what people are looking for. And we have to fight for that and work at that. It does not come naturally. But it does come supernaturally. When our hearts and lives are in tune with the Spirit of God, we can't help but be warm and safe and welcoming and teachable. The church, the church should be a warm and safe place welcoming anyone. Anyone who is interested in walking with Christ. You're interested in walking with Christ, you're in the right spot. You're interested in learning about Christ, you're in the right spot. You are welcome here. We want you to be here. We welcome anyone who's interested in walking with Christ So let's continue on, because now he's going to turn the stage here. It's been interesting watching the way Jesus has interacted with the people. He started out being just for the people, loving on them, uh, living with them, doing life with them, healing them. And then he started talking with the disciples and started teaching. And now he's turning the page and his tone is getting a little bit different. His teaching style is becoming a little sharper and a little clearer. And what we're getting ready to read is something that is very, very important. It is deep. It is solid. And it should cause all of us to take a step back, take a deep breath, and take note. Now here's one of my fears. I don't want this to be one of those sermons where you walk out and think, oh, the pastor's being so negative and talking so hard at us. What I want you to do is turn it around and see it as a warning from Jesus to say, I love you, don't do this. Okay? Verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. 
Okay. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Jesus says, here's what I want you to hear from this. He says, here's the idea. You've got this child coming with this childlike faith. And he says, if you cause that child, the one that's sitting right here, to sin, to fall away, to stumble, it would be better for you than to show up on my doorstep for judgment day to just go ahead Instead of offending them and causing them to sin, go find a millstone, wrap it around your head, and jump in the lake. Now, that was a form of capital punishment. It wasn't like the popular one. In fact, they really didn't like it a lot at all. But it was used. And so, in this moment, Jesus uses this and says, Hey, it would be better for you just to go die that way than to cause them to sin. That's a big statement to me. Do you know how serious it is to Jesus when we cause a young person to sin? He says, you might as well just go drown than to do that. That's a big deal, folks. Now, does he mean literally go find a millstone before you sin and go jump in the lake? No, that's not what he's talking about. But he's giving you the illusion that, hey, it would be better if you did because I take this really Seriously. So when we talk about children, especially in this context, he is transitioning. He starts with a child, a literal child in front of him, but he is transitioning into this idea of it's not just children. He's talking about childlike faith believers, those that are excited, those that are passionate, those that are teachable, those that want to know, those that just want to be in God's presence all the time. You've been around those. You know what that's like. You remember what that's like. And sometimes that's irritating to us because they're so stinking excited. Let them just live a little bit and they'll understand. They'll calm down at some point. Right? Shame on us for thinking that. Maybe it's those that think that that actually have the problem. Maybe those new believers should look at those that are poo-pooing on their little excitement party there. Saying, hey, you should remember what Jesus has done for you and maybe you should get a little more excited. We do a disservice to the greatness of God when we don't allow people to be excited about what he's doing in their lives. And some of us that have gotten cold and complacent in our walk and in our faith, maybe we need to be reminded of the joy of the Lord and not get so frustrated with those that are excited about the new things that God is doing in their lives. So when Jesus is talking here, he's saying, hey, Don't discourage those new believers. Don't discourage those children. Don't discourage those that are excited about what's going on. Don't offend them. And when we look at the offense or offend here, it's anything which might cause someone to sin, someone to fall away, or hinder their happiness in their faith. The last thing that I want to do is to take a new believer and try to calm them down. I don't want to do that. Could you imagine Tim working with teenagers as passionate as he gets if he came in all sullen? Think about that. Watching Tim walk around our church, frowny face, not excited. COVID jacked him up. 
That's what we would think. But the reality is, we don't have to be excited like Tim. You don't have to be excited like me. But be excited. Be excited about what God has done in your life. And don't turn someone away from being excited about something that God is doing in their life. Jesus says, it would be better for you. Don't do that. Just go jump in a lake. Don't do that. Go drown. It would be better for you. Don't offend. Don't cause them to sin. Don't teach them the wrong thing. Don't lead them down the wrong, uh, the wrong road. Don't encourage them in the wrong direction. In other words, encourage that excitement. Teach them more as they're wanting to learn more. Do what is necessary to foster true joy in Christ. And in fact, if you don't have it, maybe you should do it on yourself first. He says, don't offend. And what's interesting is, Jesus takes this extremely seriously. He's so serious about it, he tells us, go jump in a lake and drown. Can you even comprehend that? Jesus says, before you offend someone, it would be better that you didn't and go jump in a lake. Not just a lake, but the depths of the sea. And not just jump in for a nice little dip. Tie a massive weight around your neck and go for a swim. That'd be better. Now many of you are thinking, man, that's, man, that's harsh. That's tough. Jesus is done playing. Jesus is looking at these disciples saying, hey, I'm serious about this. This is a big deal to me. I don't want you to offend. It would be better. It would be better for you to drown with a millstone than to cause them to fail and then stand before me. You think about the seriousness of that. Jesus is looking at his disciples and says, don't ever do that. It would be better. That's a millstone. Now, a millstone, if you're not quite sure, because we really don't use that very much, it's that thing that kind of rolled around on this big um, pillar of concrete and squished all the seeds and corn and, to make flour. And I'm sure a litany of other things. Sometimes it was used by a donkey. The donkey would just walk around in circles. Sometimes it's a little bit smaller to where uh, the, a human being could use it. But I, I use this picture of two random people. I have zero clue who they are. But I wanted you to see the size of this. These are average-sized people, it looks like. And look how big this thing is. And Jesus says, it would be better for you to find something like that, tie it around your neck, and go jump in the depths of the ocean than to cause a kid or a young believer or a believer in and of itself to sin or to walk away or to lose their happiness. Here's what it would look like. You know what else I don't want? I don't want my Christianity to look like that either. I don't want it to look like a burden. That was extra. You know, in this passage, he says, I don't want you to offend those that are coming after me. And you know what else he says? He says, because offenses will come. Offenses are going to happen. Why? We live in an evil world. 
People get offended at the slightest of things anymore. We have to be so careful with what we say, where we go, how we live, how we dress. People just get offended so fast. Sometimes over meaningless things, sometimes over the right things. But offenses happen so quickly. Jesus says, listen, it's going to happen. But look what he says. Verse 7. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Basically what he says is, listen, offenses are going to happen in this world. You might as well just get over it. It's going to happen. But don't let it be said of you. You don't want to be the guy doing it. You don't want to be the guy that's caused the offense. You don't want to be the person that I catch offending someone. Big statement. But he doesn't stop there either. Offenses should not be because of believers. Could you imagine if all we did in this place is just offend one another? I've been in churches like that. I'm so glad that we aren't like that. But I don't want to be like that outside of here either. And now many of you are saying, well, listen, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is going to offend, and you're absolutely right. Because anytime right meets wrong, there's going to be some type of offense. It's going to be a battle. But we don't have to be offensive while sharing the gospel. Let the gospel be offensive, but we can be kind and loving in the way that we share it and talk about it. Let it do its thing. The Spirit will do what the Spirit does, and it will be offensive in and of itself. We don't have to be. But Jesus takes it one step further. Now he's going to make it personal. He started with a child, a random child, brings him in. Then he kind of transitions that into new believers and people that are excited. Now he's going to make it personal. And let's see what he says in verses 8 and 9. This is really where it gets tough. He says, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. That's brutal. (laughs) Right? I laugh at that because who says that? Well, Jesus did. He says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, I don't know that my hand has ever caused me to sin because who's in control of my hand? I am. My foot certainly hasn't caused me to sin because I'm in control of my feet. He says, it is better for you. There's that, that phrase again. It's better. It would be better to enter into life maimed or, or excuse me, lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. He says, here's what would be best for you. If you have a problem with your hands causing you to sin or your feet causing you to sin, it would be better for you than to continue sinning to just cut them off. Do without. It's better for you to enter life. When it says enter life, it's talking about eternal life. It would be better for you to enter into eternal life maimed, without. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is, is he really asking us To hacksaw ourselves to death? I sure hope not. I don't believe that that's what he's asking at all. He goes on in verse 9. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you. 
It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. <laughs> so if my eyes are my problem, Jesus says, pluck that joker out and chuck it. Don't hold on to it. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Just get rid of it. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a different tone from what we've seen so far. What happened to the loving, kind, patient Jesus that we all just want to be a part of? Where's the gentle Jesus that will just come alongside and just fix it all for us? It's the same Jesus saying the same things he's been saying the whole entire time. He's just now putting some responsibility on us to make the hard choices. And his tone hasn't changed. That's just me putting my own voice inflection in it. He's still lovingly coming alongside of us and saying, Hey, if you're having trouble continuing to sin in this area, get rid of what is causing you to sin. It's not rocket science. He says, if it's your hand, that's the real problem, which we all know it's not. Cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you come to heaven without a hand, because I'll take care of it when you get there, than to put yourself in this position of sin. It's much better. In fact, he doesn't just say in a position of sin. What does he say? To be cast into the everlasting fire. That's verse 8. To be cast into hellfire is verse 9. Jesus is not playing anymore. He's done. He says, if it's bothering you, if it's causing you to sin, I'm not even talking about the offensive stuff now. I'm talking about you. If you are having a hard time remaining holy, get rid of what it is that is causing you to stumble. Whatever it is, get rid of it. Jesus just goes to the extreme. He got your attention, didn't he? We know what that would mean, cutting my hand off. Cutting a foot off, plucking an eye out? Come on, man. Are you kidding me? But can I, can I go back to this really quick? Look back at verse 8. Look what it says. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. Who's doing that? Me. And so many times, well, Jesus, I just need you to do this. Jesus, if you'll just do this, I'll be better. Jesus, can Jesus do that 100% confident that he can? And he wants to. But there is a personal responsibility in all of this that he is asking us, if you know what's causing you to fall, get rid of it. You do it. I will fulfill the rest of it. But you do it. He doesn't mean literally. But he absolutely means it practically. Listen, how many of you at your home, if there's something that's bothering you, you change it? If you put the clothes on that you wore that day, if, if it didn't fit right, look right, what do you do? You change it. Then why in the world is it so hard for us when we know the very thing that's causing us to not be holy before a holy God, we look at it and say, God, you take care of it. He gave you a brain. He gave you ability. 
He will encourage you. He will empower you. But he's asking you to do it. To practically and literally remove the things from your life that do not need to be there. If it offends, if it causes you to sin, if it causes you to fall away, get rid of it. Now many of you are thinking, Pastor, that's easier than said than done. It is. But it's doable. He never said it would be easy. He never said you would enjoy it. He never said you would like it. He just said, stop doing it and get rid of it. There's a great video with Bob Newhart where he's a counselor. And all these people keep filing in and they're, they're telling him all these things that they're doing. And his simple response as a counselor is this. Stop it. Stop it. And that's all he gives. That's basically the entire time this, this skit is going on. That's all he's saying. Stop it. And folks, listen, I realize that some of us have been dealing with sin. The one sin or two sins. This, this thing that's plagued you for years and years and years. And you just don't know how to stop it. Stop it. It's a battle of your wills. It's a battle of your will versus God's will. You can if you choose to. Might you need help from him? Sure. Might he need to strengthen you to to be courageous enough to do it? Absolutely. But you have to get rid of it. You do. You do. Some of us just need to get away from it. I'm not talking about your husband and wife. But there are things that we allow ourselves to be involved in that do not help our cause for Jesus. And we need to stop it and get away from it. That may be some of the places that we go to eat or go to shop or go to just hang out at. If it's not encouraging your walk with Christ, it should not be a part of your life. Pure and simple. Amen? I know that's hard. I know that's not fun. I know that's not the cool thing. It's the world thing. I don't care. My concern is your spiritual well-being and you getting out of this life all that you can so that you can enjoy the next life more than you could ever imagine. And so from me to you, stop sinning. Just stop. You can do it. You can do it. That's all Jesus is coming at us with this morning. He's not coming at us to make us feel bad. He's not coming at us to to dog on us. He's simply saying, listen, if you want out of this life all that you can get and the next, then you've got to cut away the excess. It is an encouragement rather than a negative thing. He says, if it offends you, get rid of it. Stop it. Get away from it. I can't say this enough. This is your responsibility. This is on you. This is on me. This is me looking deep within my life with the help of the Spirit as he recovers things and reveals things to me and he says, that's got to go. And I just want to hold on to it because I love it. Remember the cartoon where um, Bugs Bunny was with the big hairy guy and he's my, his name is George, and I will pet him and play with it, right? That's what we do with our pet sins. We just love it, and we just want to pet it and caress it and love it and hold it tight. And Jesus says, you can't do that and still love me. 
You can't do that and honor me. You got to let it go. But no, you don't understand. I've had this from my youth. It's, it's who I am. It's a part of me. He's like, no. When you became a follower of me, old things pass away. All things become new. You got to let it go. You have to let it go. Your responsibility. Again, not preaching work salvation here. Salvation is already taken care of when we place our faith and, and trust in Christ. But when I realize what he has done in my life, it will cause me and uh, um, push me in the direction of making my life more like him. Which means it's going to be a battle. Because there are a lot of things I like that I know I shouldn't. There are a lot of things that I should be doing that I'm not doing. And I've got to fix that. It's me, my choice. Responsibility is personal. We all have responsibilities on this journey. I don't know what that responsibility looks like for you, but I can tell you, you've got them. Each one of us have a responsibility to make sure that we are going after God wholeheartedly and to make sure that we are not offending those that are walking with us. There's so many things that go on in churches. And we should be a church that takes our responsibility of this journey very seriously. Very seriously. As the praise team comes, here's some questions for you today. Question number one. It's a big one. Are you an offender? Are you one of those people that have been in church all your life, you know how it's supposed to go, and you're nice, cool, calm, and collected in your faith? And you don't like people getting excited because that's just abnormal. We don't like change. We're not doing that. And you squelch the growth. You squelch the excitement. Are you an offender? Are you one of the ones that just squishes people? Jesus says, woe to you. You better be careful. You better pay attention. Here's the second question. What in your life needs to be cut away today? That one's a deep one. That one's a big one. You may not know right offhand, but I know who does. And he is so good at willingly coming alongside you and revealing those things to you when you ask him. The Spirit of God has that unique trait to dig in the places that we've buried and long forgotten about and bringing him up saying, hey, this needs to go. He's also really good at strengthening us to see the things that we need to get gone and cut them loose. He wants to do that with us. He can do that for us. But that's not what I see him asking in this passage. He's asking us to take personal responsibility. And then lastly, the question is this. What offenses do you need to let go of today? I put that question on there because I realize in a church our size, from many different backgrounds, many different churches, you may have left a church or been a part of a church where you just really got hurt, crushed, offended. And you're holding on to that. And it's stealing your joy away. Maybe today's the time where you can just cut that away. 
Maybe you need to have a conversation with whoever it is, or maybe you just need to settle it in your own heart with the Lord and allow the joy of your salvation to return apart from those offenses. I don't know what it is in your life. It could be pornography. It could be uh, a drinking issue. It could be a drug issue. It could be an extramarital affair, extra relationship affair, something, anything. It could be whatever it is. I have no idea. But I can promise you, if you don't deal with it, it will hurt you. Spiritually, emotionally, and potentially physically. We are here today as a church family, sitting in the presence of a holy God who is itching to walk with you through all of this. The question is, do you have the courage to make the choice today to cut away the things that's hindering you from experiencing him to the fullest? Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to dig in. Lord, I pray that in in all that has been shared in both services and even those that are sitting at home, that you would just work on all of our hearts, draw us close to you, allow us to feel your presence and to know your truth. God, it is a tough thing to think about losing a body part. And yet, that's the, the example you give. Lord, help us to realize the importance of this as you brought it up very clearly. To cut away the things that cause us to sin. To just get rid of it. Throw it away. Give us vision to see those things that need to move away. Give us courage to to make those hard choices. But today, may it be the day where we choose to let go of those things that we're holding on to. And help those of us that are so quick to offend and be judgmental. I pray that you would help us to not do that. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for all that you're going to continue to do in Jesus.